Hi there, my name is Carrie Conover and I went from classroom teacher to ed tech leader to CEO in five years. I'm here to share the stories and wisdom of teachers who have successfully transitioned from the classroom to the boardroom. Let me help you let go of the guilt, start building your skills and create your own path to a new career outside of the classroom. Welcome to Classroom to Boardroom. I'm so glad you're here. Hello, and welcome back to Classroom to Boardroom. I am so excited to let all of you know that Classroom to Boardroom, the course is open for business. And when I mean business, that means you can go enroll as a student in Classroom to Boardroom. We have had so many success stories already, and the course just launched in November of 2020. Go over to classroomtoboardroom.net to learn more about what it's like to work at an ed tech company. The thing I love about this course and the reason I built it the way I did is that it is a monthly fee. You go month by month through the modules. And if you decide, hey, this isn't the path I want to go down, I wish you congratulations. I say congratulations on making this decision and you can go on your merry way. So go check that out at classroom2boardroom.net. Today, we are talking to Patrick Frazier, Patrick Frazier, who's the vice president of sales at Acadium. Patrick reached out to me on LinkedIn. Once again, a reminder of how powerful LinkedIn can be if you use it in the right way. We'll probably talk about that a little bit today uh, in this episode, but Patrick reached out to me. Um, on LinkedIn said, Hey, I love what you're doing. Cool work. I also am an educator that transitioned out into the higher ed, ed tech workspace. And I invited Patrick to come on and talk about his experience. So welcome to the classroom to boardroom podcast. Yeah. Thanks a bunch, Carrie. I don't know who actually, now that I think about it, Patrick, maybe I reached out to you or you reached out to me. I don't know that it really matters, but I think the moral of the story is if you reach out to someone on LinkedIn with a really positive, good intention, a lot of times really magical connections can happen. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I, I kind of remember too, because I've helped a lot of teachers do essentially what it is that you do um, on a much, much smaller scale. And one of my former colleagues that had reached out to me for some of the things that the advice that you give um, and, and talk through some of those things, and he sent me your information. It was like, hey, this person is doing the things that you've kind of talked about. I was like, man, someone should create a business <laughs> to help teachers figure this stuff out. And, you know, I'd written a lot of little pieces about it, articles about it focused uh, across, you know, the journey that teachers have to go through. It's really hard. Yeah. Well, and, you know, my, my real quote unquote job is as the founder of educators to educators. And that is really my true passion and the work we are doing there. And man, we just had the most incredible year at E2E. But as I'm doing this work, as I'm mentoring our presenters, as I'm talking to educators all over the country and the world, I kept getting the question, like, Carrie, how did you do this? How did you go from, you know, teacher to now the founder of, of Educators Educators? And I thought, I think it's, it, it's not possible for me to coach all these people one-on-one. -on -one, so I think it's time to build a course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I did something very similar in that I, whenever I left the classroom, I had 
it was almost like a secret thing. Like people would, people would text me and be like, Hey, no one knows this, but I'm kind of interested in leaving. Yes. <laughs> and, and how did you do it? And I, I met with a lot of people for coffees or, you know, lunches and they just wanted to know how I did it and how I got started. And you know, I just kind of made like a little, you know, guidebook for, for some of them because it is such a common area of curiosity, at least at the very least, because if you're going to stay on your path, then you need to know that it's your choice, right? No one wants yeah. to feel stuck. So I, I love that you do the month to month thing because some people just want to dabble. They want to know, like, yeah. if I didn't do this, what could I do? And if you answer the question, oh, I could do these things, but I'd prefer to stay in teaching, then you're just empowered. Then you're just happier and you don't well, feel as stuck. Yes. I agree. Nobody likes to feel stuck. They want it to be their choice to be in the teaching profession. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. Well, why don't you start off telling us about that career path that you've been on? Yeah, so I wanted to be a teacher because I loved helping people understand things. And I went to college to be an engineer, and I thought I'd be an engineering professor, and decided that that's just not, it wasn't quite what I thought it would be. And so I was alternative certified, uh, in, which is a non-traditional way in, in Texas to went through all the coursework, uh, paid a lot of money to, to get alternative certified here and happened to be really lucky in that the teacher of that alternative certification course worked at a school that had a vacancy for the exact things that I was getting certified to teach. And he thought I would be a good fit for the school. So I just got really lucky in finding an amazing, an amazing school there in Texas. And I taught there for a couple of years. And then I taught in New York City, at one of the, the oldest private schools in the country. So I went from public magnet school to a 50K a year private school in Manhattan, which was wow. a crazy experience, total opposite end from like what I call it down and dirty public school to uh, one of the most privileged resource rich schools in the nation. That that was incredible. That was a crazy experience. I bet experience. you're so glad that you got both of those experiences. Yeah. I think the thing that I learned is that students, when they want to work hard, are a joy to teach regardless of what their background is. And when you teach, in, in it has no, there's no real, I found that whenever you're working with a student who looks at you and wants to engage with you to get it, regardless of, of their background, that's a, that's a beautiful moment. And I think uh, the stereotype is that if you're like some spoiled rich kid, you don't work hard. I found that to not be true at all. Um, and then I found that when I'm in down and dirty public school, you know, there may be some of the stereotypes around, you know, kids who don't have access to certain things that they're not capable. I, I learned that that was equally as wrong. So yeah, the full spectrum, it was, it was, it was wild. Tell me about your kind of path out of the classroom after those experiences. Yeah. So I taught for seven years and I just around, this is so, so common. We're about to hit spring break as we're kind of recording this, you know, whenever schools hit that spring break period, I think a lot of teachers are like, man, I don't know, I don't know if I can do this another year. <laughs> like, I think it's a really common, common feeling. And I found that around that spring break time, I was like, man, I just, I, I think I can keep doing this, but I, I had a, a teacher mentor that, that was um, getting out of teaching and I, I was just like, I kind of want to see what that's like. But so I, I started, I just started asking friends. That was the only thing I could do, which is a privilege in of itself is to even, do you even have 
connections, right? Do you know people who, who work in other industries? And so I was lucky enough to, to have some friends in, in the tech industry. And I was like, oh, well, what do you do? How do you do it? And do you have any friends I could talk to? So I just started networking my butt off. And I found teachers on LinkedIn that were doing tech things now like you. And I was like, hey, how did you get into customer success management as a teacher, right? And I, let me, can I buy you a cup of coffee to learn about your career path? So basically doing what you and I are doing right now, but on one-off scales, right? Trying to figure out what path I could have. And at the same time I was doing that, I was looking at websites. Um, there's, there's like built-in Austin or built-in, you know, insert city. There's this yep. really common website. And was just looking at tech companies and being like, okay, what what is the job openings that seems interesting to me? Do I pursue a job or do I pursue a company? Really trying to figure out what I wanted to do and ultimately narrowed it down to a couple of companies. But Carrie, it was hard. I applied to probably 50 different jobs across yep. 40 different companies. And I only got maybe three callbacks. And probably the most humbling experience was going to some of my friends and having them look at my resume and have them just destroy it because I could get a teacher job anywhere in the country with my resume. Like that felt true generally or not any, I, it's not that I could get the teaching job. I could get an interview. I felt like with my teacher resume, I could get an interview guaranteed and I wasn't even getting a phone call. And so I was or screening call, right? Like it's 15 minute pre, you know, check-in and I was just, humbled as could be because I, I realized I was starting from scratch. And so I had to really rebuild what are my soft skill sets? Yeah. What are my strengths finders say about me? You know, what is the job application say that connects to the job posting, right? And in really tailoring every single thing. And finally figured out that there was a company that I really, really liked. I applied to it twice, got rejected twice. The first I got rejected within 24 hours. The second job, I had initial phone screen and then didn't get moved on. And then the third job was entry-level sales, which I did not think I wanted to do, but I technically met all the job requirements. And after you know a few weeks of job interviews, I got the job. But the craziest part about this story is I got called into the school after the first interview process. I got called by my principal into the school, and this is the middle of summer. And I was like, oh my God. Like, did, did they find out? Like, did I, get, did I get caught here? And I get called in and they offer me the department chair job. Wow. And I said, yes, because of course I like that idea of, of moving up into somewhat more administrative type of roles. I really like working with adults. And that was kind of what the teaching thing kind of led me to. I realized that the best part of my day often was the professional development aspect, working with other adults. So I thought, okay, this could scratch that itch. I think I could do this. And I left that meeting with the principal and checked my email and I had moved on to the second round of the interviews at the company I was applying to. And I moved on with that process. So I just, I accepted one job at the school. School was going to start in a month and I still went through the interview process with that company and ended up getting the job a week into the school year. And I had to tell my principal. Really quick. I, I, I first of all want to commend you for doing that because I've had so many conversations with teachers that are like so scared of their contract. They're so scared of these commitments, right? Mm -hmm. That they've made to their school district. And we'll talk a little bit more about that guilt. And I don't want this to sound cold, but at the end of the day, you have to take care of yourself. And 
Schools get rid of teachers all the time. Like this isn't a marriage. This is a job. And you do have to do what is best for you and your future. And there's always someone that can replace you. I'm sure they were able to find someone that year to replace you as that department chair. Yeah, within two weeks, I was replaced. And I was like, oh, I guess I wasn't that important to begin with. Exactly. <laughs> and so I, I was really lucky in how it played out. I ended up having a lot of support from, from my teacher community and a lot of people saying, you know what, good for you. And they understood that I had a bunch of personal situations that I was trying to, to move forward with. Like my wife wanted to go back to college, but we couldn't afford that if I didn't make up for that income. And so we... Th- really were diligent in how we plan the next parts of our life. And the next part of our life meant that the best thing would be is if I left teaching. So I had parent teacher night. This is crazy, Carrie. I had parent teacher night on a Tuesday and the school asked me to stay to introduce my replacement. So I went to parent teacher night, said hi to all the parents and said, Hey, nice to meet you. Sorry. You're not going to work with me this year. This is my replacement. And the next morning, I went to my new job. Wow. Wednesday morning at 9 a.m., went to my new job. Tuesday night at 8 p.m., I was saying bye to the kids. So that that was tough. Wow. That's pretty incredible. I mean, look at all that transition that you went through. So you stepped into this role of sales. You were not sure sales was the role for you. So talk to us a little bit about that. And talk to us a little bit about what led up to you knowing that you wanted to do something other than teaching. Yeah. I, so whenever I thought about my skill sets of what I just really like to do, I like to help people get from point A to point B in their acceptance of, of a truth, whether that truth be a mathematical fact or their own understanding of who they are as a person that's directly applicable to teenagers, right? Well, some of the best parts of working with kids is helping them navigate who they are as people at the same time as you're teaching them content. And whenever I really thought about sales, I thought, well, this is just forcing things down people's throat, like, or lying or deceiving, and that feels disingenuine. Uh, and then the more I looked into it, I realized that that's just not modern day sales because you have the internet now, right? If you want to learn something or you want to buy something, you can pretty much figure out what you want. You can shop around. What you really are looking for when you talk to a salesperson is a a consultant. You're asking for someone to help you get from point A to point B, except that there's something that you need to change and then collaborate on how to change it. And it's important that you can also deal with tough situations, that you can do public speaking, that you have presentation skills like knowing when are you losing an audience? And I realized that that's really not all that different in sales. So, but it took me a while to kind of get there. I had to, and I, I went into a company that worked in higher ed and we'll talk about that more in a second, I'm sure, but it helped me make that role into sales, make that jump because I thought, well, I'm still working with schools and I'm still working with educators. And this is something that is still part of a noble path, which I think is important for a lot of teachers is to feel like they're spending their time in a way that's making the world a better place. And I kind of was also just so desperate for a job that I was willing to take whatever and learn along the way. And I quickly learned, though, that it was okay, that it was okay to make this jump. I wasn't selling my soul. And I was worried about that in the beginning, but I was definitely not selling my soul. You said that 
you know, you felt that guilt at the beginning and then you, you continued on, you know, writing your blog and doing some activities that kept you kind of connected to that teaching world, which I, I love. Yeah. And you have to kind of find those for yourself, whether it's working with a nonprofit that's mentoring students or, you know, working with uh, summer programs or a camp or something, you know, tutoring or wh whatever you want it to be, you can keep that up. And, you know, I was able to s stay connected to, to students enough to where now if I need an intern, I have a bunch to call, right? I, I can continue to help out in that way. And so I didn't lose my soul in the process, um, which was really, really kind of important to me. Probably the most <laughs> important thing. Yeah. I mean, I think back on it too. Really, for me, my joy comes from my relationships to people. So whether that when I was in the classroom, it was my relationships with my students, it was the strong relationships I had with a lot of parents. And that transferred to ad tech, like I my relationships with the people I worked with. And it's interesting, because I had an aha moment. I was talking to Katie House, uh, who's on this season two of classroom to boardroom podcast. She's also in sales. And we were just talking about like the difference between sales and customer success and our time working together. And both companies I worked with, like they always were trying to pull me into the sales team. I had a lot of that skill set that works in sales, right? But what I realized why I loved customer success so much was how much I got to make the sales team happy. It, mm. it wasn't, yes, I got a lot of joy out of the customer success of seeing the classrooms and the school districts succeed. But what I was kind of addicted to was helping our sales team deliver on the promises they made and helping them expand on their plans. And I bring that up because I think back to your point, like, you got to get that first job, whether it's in, maybe you don't think you want to do sales. If you get hired in a sales job, take the job, learn to do the best you can. And while you're in there, look around the company and say, is there something that would make me more happy? But you've got to get in the first job. 100%. I, the most common entry-level sales role is called a business development representative or a sales development representative. I'd say... 75% of them don't stay in sales. I mean, either they go into CSM roles, they go into project management roles. Entry-level sales is the is it such a great point of entry because you learn about the company and you learn how to position it. And so that role is where you're trying to generate leads. You're not closing deals. You're not getting contracts. Your entire job is to get people to accept a meeting and then someone else takes the meeting. Right? So yeah. the quota is based on how many meetings can you set in a month. That might make some people nervous because you have to make phone calls. Carrie, I used to have to like hype myself up. Like I was about to go give a performance on stage to go into the phone room because I was terrified to make phone calls. <laughs> like, it is so unnatural. And I, I, it, for me, I felt so scared of it. But I learned that, that there were two types of people or really three. There are the types of people that are so scared of it that they didn't do it. Then there are other people that seem so natural at it that it made me uncomfortable. Like the type, type of people that are just, you know, get they get a cold call themselves and then they make a friend with the person on the other line. Like, oh, you're selling vacuums? Well, what type of vacuums? I don't need a vacuum, but I'll keep talking to you. You're like, and I'm not that per type of person. I was the type of person that had to go in, figure out who was I calling? 
why was I calling them? How could I help them? And, and really think about it. And so each phone call had to be really customized to me to feel good about it. Yep. And I'd call and there was something about my delivery that was different that would make them respond. So I would make half as many calls as some other people on my team, but I would get the same results. And my boss realized that that's all that really matters at the end of the day is that I was able to get people interested in what we were doing based on my research. And so I was more of a slow and steady type of mindset. And ultimately that type of deep research and that type of care is what allowed me to kind of get noticed to get through a series of promotions, which is not, which blew my mind because you could be a teacher for 40 years and never get promoted, right? You're just, you just, you're a teacher. Right? Maybe you get promoted to department head, but that's it, right? And unless you go get a new degree, there's really no other options. So the fact that, you know, I could just go work hard and then someone would say, hey, we're going to promote you without me really asking was weird. I was like, okay. So I just went through kind of a series of promotions and just kept kind of working harder and harder to get to the next level. But I think that that's really natural for teachers to do. I think I was a better natural salesperson than, than customer success because I'm a competitive mindset and I liked, I liked the chase. I liked the hunt. I liked the idea of I'm going to work super hard to help this thing happen. And then I can't wait to wrap it up in a box with a bow and hand it to a customer success person. And then they can deal with it. Right. They, yeah. They're the ones they're, they can manage the relationship for years. They can do all that, but I'm going to get, my fulfillment from helping someone accept that they should change and they should change in a way that I should help them. And then as soon as they accept that change, which to me means like signing the contract, like, yes, we want to change, then I want to go back and do it again for somebody yeah. else. It's interesting in classroom to boardroom. I think you'll appreciate this, Patrick, the order in which I wrote the modules, when we actually start delving into each of the roles within ed tech, I start with sales and it is the only role that has two modules and I put it in there before any other role because a lot of teachers come in. There's two reasons I did this. A lot of educators come in and they're like, there's no way I will do sales. No way. No, 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 no. So the first thing I want to do is say, Hey, I want you to take the time to learn about this because the job is different than you probably think. And the other reason I did that is that I don't care where you work in any company, sales is at the heart of the company because mm -hmm. even in a nonprofit actually, but let's talk about for-profit and let's talk about ed tech sales. Yes, the mission is to help children and help schools. But at the end of the day, if the company's not making money, they're not going to exist. <laughs> and so I really feel like I don't care if you're doing professional development, if you're a designer, if you're an engineer you have to understand that sales cycle of a company because everyone evolves around that. It's the, if you get good at sales, you become some of the, the most important people in, in the organization. And it's interesting because you could, you could be an individual contributor, someone who's just doing their job. And if you do your job well enough as a salesperson, not only do you make, a bunch of money like there is an upside there that that i think teachers just aren't really aware of but you get direct line of access to the c-suite like if you're the top salesperson the head of product wants to know what what you're saying they want to know what customers are saying you're the go-to person for product for engineering the ceo wants to know what you're doing well the cfo knows your name you know like there, it's it's 
if you're the individual contributor who's the best at, at your job in sales, it's it's kind of like being a rock star. But I think sometimes that fame of it is like sometimes what people actually don't like because it's often yes. sought it's a sought out by by people who are motivated by those things. And that's an important difference. You can be the most successful salesperson in a company without being motivated by money. And yeah. I don't think enough people talk about that. I am not motivated by money at all. I appreciate that I make more than I used to, but that doesn't get me excited. Uh, what gets me excited is the conversations where I see people able to accept that their future can be better than it is today. And not only did I help them, but my company is now better because of it too. And sales is uniquely positioned to be able to do that. And it, it's not about the chase of, of luxury. That's most teachers. If you're a teacher, you are not motivated by luxury. <laughs> That's just a fact, right? Like if you're, if you're a teacher, you did not do it for the money. And yeah. then they're afraid that if they then go do something where money is an option or potential, it makes them uncomfortable as if they somehow are a different person. And that's just yeah. something you have to come to terms with. And it took me a long time. And, and quite frankly, when you say like I kept writing my blog and things like that, there's a lot of it in there where I'm coming to terms with the fact that I didn't sell out. Like I had to come to that realization myself. That the I remember my one of my last days, when one of my students in, in class someone said, why are you leaving? And someone else, this other student, classic 16-year-old student moment said, it's because he's chasing the cheddar. And I had never heard that. I had no idea. But obviously, he's like, I was chasing the money. And he's chasing the cheese. He's chasing the cheddar. And I was like, I guess if you want to think of it that way, that's fine. But that's, that's you know, it's it's multifaceted. But uh, yeah, teachers need to be okay with with the, the fact that it's it's okay that, that that's a consequence of a career change. It doesn't have to be what you're pursuing. I'm going to make the weirdest analogy for you here, okay? okay. <laughs> I'm going to prep you. It's weird. New moms. Um, Patrick, I don't know if you have children. I have a kid coming on the way. In like, okay, this is four, perfect. Yeah, like four weeks. Like we're in the final stretch. Oh, this is amazing. Okay, so I have a 13 and a 10-year-old. So when... A lot of time when women have babies, there's this pressure to nurse your baby, okay? Mm -hmm. And I remember going back to the classroom, trying to be a nursing mother is very hard on a teacher's schedule. <laughs> it doesn't work very well. And I remember going to my doctor and being like, this is just, it's too hard. I'm not having enough time to do this. And I remember the doctor saying to me, even if you nurse your son one time a day or two times a day, you're still a nursing mom. Even if you only, you know, nurse for a week, you've still nursed your child. Okay. So this was like the whole, like she shifted for me. Mm -hmm. And I relate that to what you and I are talking about with teaching. Just because I, I don't teach any longer does not mean that I am not so damn proud of the 10 years that I put in and the 10 years of students that's, you know, one just linked in connected with me the other day. It was crazy because I taught third, fourth, and fifth grade. But like, I'm so proud of those 10 years and those 10 years worth of students that I had impact on the rest of their life. So that's how I let go of my guilt was like, what I did in that decade was amazing. And it is okay for me to turn the page and try something new. Yeah. And those skills keep going. I, I had a moment today, one of the hard parts, this is something I actually think is important for teachers to hear too, is that don't pigeonhole yourself as the, that thing. It, it, simultaneously, 
I am a teacher. You are always a teacher. That is okay, right? And I still think of myself that way. Like once a teacher, always a teacher, totally on board for that. But it's also okay to help the, to, to let that transition a little bit because you don't want your, your company or your fellow employees to pigeonhole you as still just the teacher, right? Because you're, you are who you are. You're Carrie. I'm Patrick. I am um, a holistic set of skills. Some of those were nurtured and refined because I was a teacher. So just today at work, I dug into a whole bunch of data and I was presenting it across the VP team, the, some of these insights. And one of the guys on the team was like, oh yeah, I forgot you were a teacher and it's really obvious right now because we were talking about statistics and, and I was trying to get them to understand this thing. And it was like, oh yeah, obviously you have that background. I can see it in the way that you're presenting this right now. And that was cool. I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I, I was a teacher, but at my last company, I would get feedback like for a teacher, this is really good work. And I was really resented that after a while. So I had yeah. to work, I had to work on not being the sales professional or the, the teacher who became a sales professional. And now I'm the sales professional who used to be a teacher that took about five years to kind of navigate. I can't remember if I told this story on the podcast, but the only job I have ever not gotten in my entire life, I'm talking from like my first interview at McDonald's to get my first job, my whole life, there's been one job that I've not gotten. And it was for VTech, a very well-known toy company. And I was coming out of the classroom. I was interviewing for a project manager job and I made it to the final interview, two candidates. And ultimately I did not get offered that job, but I remember they sent in the COO to come talk to me. And I was like, oh, this is a surprise. So he sits down and he's like, I just had to come in here and meet you because when I looked at your resume and I saw that you were just a teacher, I needed to know how you, Carrie Conover, made it to the final round of this interview process. And I was like, damn, that hurts. Yeah. Like, is this a compliment or like a backhanded compliment? But I I took it, I try to this day, like take it as like, he was complimenting me. Like, I don't have any experience as a project manager. How did I make it all this way? Yeah. Yeah, I I hear that a lot from from teachers that I heard this too. I've tried to help some friends uh, with their interview process or get jobs somewhere else, and the the it's a common it, yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot of general judgment. I have a lot of friends at HR professionals now too, and they've actually learned how they have to interview teachers differently to find out if they'd be good for the job because the, the teacher doesn't know how to explain themselves the same way another candidate would, even though they're probably more qualified based on their soft skill set. Yeah. Okay. You and I have kind of gotten off track, which is totally fine for me, but I'm going to bring us back. And I want to ask you to tell us a little bit about like your day-to-day -day life in the role that you're in right now. Yeah. So I found myself in the situation where I, I, I mentioned earlier, went through kind of a series of, of promotions based on, um, really, I think it's based on the questions that I asked and the the performances and the relationships that, that it just kind of made sense to eventually become uh, a leader within a company. I think that's normal for a lot of teachers given enough time. I think that's that's our normal place to be, right? We we are used to controlling the show to some degree, right? And yep. so I, I have VP of sales at a 
what I would call a, a early slash mid-stage uh, tech company, so we're a software company in higher ed. And so as a VP of sales, my job is is split into probably three different functions. One is still what you would consider a traditional sales kind of role, helping out with pipeline management, delivering, delivering presentations, uh, contracts, closing deals, those types of things. Then the second part of my job is the management side. How is my team doing? How is my team feeling? Is there anything that I can do to help them perform better? Is there uh, an obstacle in the way that I can remove? Who do I need to praise? Who do I need to, to work with individually? Do I, should I listen in on their call? Should I help them close this deal? Things like that. And then the third part of my job is building a business. Right? As a VP of sales, I'm trying to understand what are the signals that we're receiving from the customer, from the market that helps me to make decisions around where we should be a year from now? Are we making the types of decisions today that build the company so that we're where we should be a year from now? And that's a, that's a totally different place, right? I don't have a background in business. I've never taken a business class. I don't have an MBA. I have a background in environmental engineering. I have a master's in engineering. I have no idea uh, <laughs> a lot of the things about, you know, why an investor would invest in a company. But I care a lot about building something. And I think that that's normal for, for a lot of teachers who like to come in and, and build something for themselves. And I think they do that all the time in the, in the classroom, whether it's their own content or writing their own test because they don't like the one that was given to them or whatever it is. So yeah, my, my day is split between closing deals, helping manage a team of, of folks, and then building a business. Okay, let's talk a little bit about sales and why you think it's a great role for teachers to transition into. And then maybe from there, talk to us a little bit about the soft and hard skills that are required to work in sales. Yeah. So I think teachers are such good fits. I've written about this quite a bit is that teachers are used to probably one of the most common things that people associate with sales is what's called objection handling. And they think of it as like, you know, you're in a meeting and someone says, well, why would we do this? Or like, how did, does this work this way? Um, or I don't think we should do this contract right now. Well, keeping your cool under that situation and helping them navigate that objection is really unnerving for a lot of people. You know what else is unnerving? Having a student rip up your test in the middle of an exam and saying, this is crap. And then walking out because you have no idea what they're dealing with, right? There's like a, you know, crazy 15 year old. And then, you know, having a parent, I've had a parent tell me in a parking lot, they think the problem with their students' performance in the class had less to do with the student and more to do with the teacher. They said it that way to my face. Nice. And I'm just exactly. like, yeah, I'm like, okay, all right. Well, thank you, sir. You know, and so learning how to deal with those tense moments, like, teachers just aren't really faced by that after a while, right? You just, you learn that what people say and do is more of a reflection of them than it is of how they actually feel about you, you know? And so I think teachers have just tons of, of the soft skills, which I'll get to in a second, but teachers know how to navigate people. Buying something is an emotional decision. Buying is emotional. And you have to be able to help someone feel comfortable that they're making the right decision. And teachers do this all the time. I taught math and, you know, whether it was algebra one, algebra two, geometry, statistics, I even taught physics for two years. And arguably I was, I was teaching the things that students hated the most, but if I could sell it to them the right way, they could at least tolerate it. And that meant making them feel comfortable with the situation that might make them feel comfortable. I mean, I'm going to make you feel comfortable with being a C student. 
we're going to be okay with that because for, for our situation, that, that might be a win. Or it might be making a student feel comfortable that is trying too hard to make hundreds on everything and making it okay to not be perfect, right? Just being able to use that emotional intelligence to help someone navigate something is really important. And that that's what I loved the most about teaching was helping in that kind of regard. And it's really not all that different in, in sales, but in the, in the soft skills for that, I mean, it's being able to listen and ask questions. And, and so this is actually a really big thing that I, I actually have a high horse on a little bit. Teachers who are used to lecturing, the sage on the stage type of mentality does not really work in sales. Yeah. The best teachers are ones that know where they're trying to get you. And they know that the best way to, to get you to that place is to ask you a series of questions. And if the student asks a question to then respond with a question back, right? To let them guide themselves to the place of understanding. That type of Socratic type of learning is really important for sales. It's what we call the discovery process. So the best teachers are really good at asking questions. The best salespeople are really good at asking questions in that discovery process. It's the same thing. So the soft skills for teachers is that that empathy, that listening, that emotional intelligence, and also most, most importantly, I think, is the follow through. Teachers can't drop the ball, right? If you if you make a note that I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna call that parent, or I'm going to you know grade these tests by this time because grades are due by this day. Like you are experts at accountability and self-regulation that means that you are the best employee like hands down you show me someone that can get something done because they came up with it on their own and said i'm going to get it done by this date that follow-through is really really hard. it's really rare actually like whenever I, I i switched to 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 working with non-teachers i was like this is the sometimes i was like this is the quality Right. Like I know tons of teachers that are paid half as much as you that could do your job, you know, um, because they're just harder workers. And I think that that's something that teachers bring to the table in that soft skill type of set. What about hard skills? What would you recommend? Yeah. So for sales, there so much of it translates in ways that people don't think. Right. Like CRM, the you know customer relationship management database or client really whatever you want to call it. But that that database, whether it's Salesforce or HubSpot or whatever, being able to just maintain those softwares is not any different than maintaining a grade book, right? It's like, it's almost like saying that a teacher's hard skill is, is knowing how to use their attendance software compared to a different attendance software. That's not actually a hard skill set. You need to know what it is. You need to know what it's used for. You should probably, you know, I know in your courses, you teach those things, which is incredible because I had to like look at YouTube videos by those companies to learn what they were to kind of piece yeah. together like what it would mean. And then I had a friend who used Salesforce. And so I asked him to look at it so I could understand how I would navigate it. But that's so what? That's just learning a new software. Like no one, no one considers, you know, knowing how to upload a YouTube video is a hard skill, you know, editing a video. Sure. That's a hard skill, but like if you can YouTube how to upload a video on YouTube, like then it's not really a skill. <laughs> like you could just teach yourself that, right? So, yeah. you know, I think that a lot of people get really intimidated by that though. They think that they have to know everything before they even apply for the job. The yeah. truth is that stuff takes like a week to train on. Like it's really not that hard. In so many different companies use so many different softwares. It's more about, do you understand how to use or why to use it? And are you responsible enough to do your day-to-day -day the right way? And so the, the hard skills are easy, I think. 
the big takeaway from this is like, when you're interviewing, talk about how good you are at follow through. Talk about how detail oriented you are. Talk about how you document, document, document. Like both companies I worked at, I feel like the sales leaders were constantly talking about, you guys have to document, you have to document. Like, so those are things that you can talk about that I guarantee will make a sales leader or a customer success leader, their ears perk up. If I had someone in an interview process that had never been in sales, but was applying for a sales role, if I had someone, a teacher in an interview tell me, you will never have to remind me to update the CRM, I would just give them the job. <laughs> I'd just be like, okay, all right, let's see. You know, because like every quarter, I have to do a quarterly business review, update the company on how things went. And probably the last three or four weeks before that report and presentation is due, this is really normal. I, I, I mean, this happened to me as a rep because I'm not perfect. And, and you know, you get lazy some days or you just get overwhelmed some days and you have to choose how to spend your time. But I would have to be reminded as a sales rep, hey, update your pipeline. Hey, is your call correct? Hey, did you, you know, is this accurate? Or is your, how's your forecast? All that stuff. You know, I do the same thing to my team now being like, hey, is this close date correct, right? It was our pipeline. What is this, is it, what's the likelihood that this closes? Is the, is the contract value correct? All those things are just, they're just nouns. They're just nouns of, did you do the thing that you should? It'd be like, you know, did, did you post your grades in time? When is your final going to be due? Did you submit the attendance on time? Is your tardy report up? Did you look at your 504 documents or whatever, uh, you know, they, all those types of things that teachers have to do? It's basically the same thing. It's pure accountability and follow through. Awesome. Well, let's wrap this up with you giving any other last minute advice for a teacher who would be looking to transition to into a role at an education company. Yeah. Well, actually, I think one of the most important things is that it's it's natural to feel like you should pivot into an education company because it's what you know the best, right? You know the lingo, all of, you know the culture. But I found that it's actually, there's a lot of different kinds of ed tech. So my advice is to open up your search a little bit. A lot of people think of ed tech as learning software. And if you're a K-12 teacher, you're thinking about it from the perspective of, well, what's a learning software in K-12? But there's a lot of softwares, if we're going to limit it to, you know, I do software, so this is the lens that I have. But there's so many different softwares that schools need whether it's a K-12 software that's trying to get fundraising uh, types of software for private schools or admissions type of software for private schools, or it's you know something that the school board wants to buy in order to manage their business practice. Library software that has nothing to do with actual teaching and learning. It's just their management software. I work in ed tech in, in higher ed, which is actually not ed tech at all. I do software that is more for the business operations and the management of how they do certain things. And I don't ever talk to teachers. I'm not dealing with content really at all. And I think that if teachers have too much of the, the narrowing, like they already narrow themselves and what they think they can do. If you also yep. narrow yourself and the types of businesses that you can work in, then you're, you're closing doors on yourself. And I think if I, if I could leave with one last statement, it's something that my wife and I tell each other all the time is that you should never be the reason that a door stays closed and you should never be the person to close the door on yourself, right? Always leave options open and, and be the reason that something becomes an opportunity. So 
go ahead and apply for that job, even if you think it's a reach. Send a LinkedIn message to that person asking them for advice. Send your send your resume to me and ask me for like I'll do that, right? Like send your try to get help and and don't be afraid to to reach out. Open the doors for yourself and and don't limit it because your work ethic and your capabilities are a national treasure and you deserve to be happy. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. Teachers okay. deserve to be happy. Where can everyone find you? Yeah, so my my website is my name, uh, patrickfraser.com. And if you go back far enough, you'll see you know progressive pedagogy of you know how I taught. Uh, the in my math classroom and then you'll see things articles like are you selling out by getting into sales and so it's a full spectrum of ib curriculum and statistics work to uh, how to get out of teaching tips perfect well patrick thank you so much for your time today this was a blast and i loved getting to know you and uh hearing your path yeah thanks carrie and thank you so much for for doing this this is this is a brilliant idea and i hope that a lot of teachers most importantly, just feel comfortable with the decisions that they're making in their professional life. Perfect way to end this. Thank you so much, Patrick. Yeah, thanks, Carrie. Once again, if you are interested in our podcast, make sure you subscribe so that you get notifications when new podcast episodes are released. So you joining me each week for Classroom to Boardroom, welcome to this new podcast. Until next time, my friends, take care. <laughs>